podcast one production. From the inside with Peter Ricks. In this episode, Peter speaks with one of the legendary characters of Australian music, a man referred to by Dennis Handlin from Sony Music Australia as noisy, wild, cantankerous and the world's oldest teenager. Peter knows him as one of his oldest friends. From promoting dances and bands in Launceston through to touring some of the world's biggest acts such as Guns N' Roses, Robbie Williams, Elton John and more, His career has expanded over the decades, making him one of the absolute legends of the Australian music business. Peter Ricks' guest is the founder and executive chairman of touring and music company Chug Entertainment. Here is his conversation with Michael Chug. Welcome, dear Michael. Hello, Mr Ricks. How are you, mate? I'm, I'm okay. I'm a little daunted in trying to cover your journey of life in a reasonably short period of time. So we're going to, if you're okay, we're going to take it a little sort of one step at a time here. Tell us all about Launceston first and mum and dad and push bikes and music. Oh, Launceston was a good place to grow up. You know, I was a, I was a, a mistake. I was a war baby, basically. I was born in 1947. Were you the first of them? First yeah, I was the first of the Chug. Dynasty? Well, I wouldn't go that far, but um, yeah, my old man used to remind me every so often when I'd fucked up that I was the biggest mistake of his life. <laughs> was that later on or during your childhood? Oh, all the time. <laughs> he was the local fire chief, for Christ's sake. Well, he became the local fire chief. He was basically uh, the son of a council worker, Cyril Chug, who uh, um, for the early part of my life... Um, was running the the reserve at the first basin and the the parklands around the gorge and the Esk River. Oh right. Um, and I grew up. Mum and Dad were living in the house there, and uh, as part of his job, they had a, a a sweet shop in the for all the people who went swimming in the two swimming pools down on the on oh, the really? basin. Yeah. And uh, I grew up there and. A lot of my early life was chasing peacocks and snakes and all that around the the gorge gardens. So, it was a w- so wonderful place. When did you find music then? Oh, music was. Dad had come back from the war, and uh, at one stage he was sequestered up by the Yanks up in the Solomon Islands, driving landing barges, and uh, he trained in Queensland then basically ended up with the Yanks and uh, my grandmother, who was just a wonderful person, used to make the best fruit cakes you've ever eaten in your life, like really, really good, you know, soft, Yeah, my grandma, my grandma fruit, wasn't that good but I remember, I remember so, Christmas all, all year. Well, all year and the old man used to get care packages and oh. in the care package would be a couple of fruit cakes and, of course, the Yanks have never fucking heard of fruitcake. They, they still can't make it today, you know. Carrot cake's about as good as they get. So he became very, very popular. His fr- Nan's fruitcake became very, very popular. And the old man started, at, you know, sharing it around. 
I don't know what he got bribed with in, uh, during yeah. the war, but after the war, they, uh, the fruitcakes continued to go to Chicago and Dallas and New York and uh, back would come cardboard boxes full of the latest 33 and a third recordings. Ah. You know, all the, all the, all the Broadway shows, My Fair Lady, Flower Drum Song, Oklahoma, um, and, you know, the Woody Hermans and the Goodwins and the... Benny Goodman, yeah. Benny Goodman and uh, the uh, Fats Dominoes and all that music, American music came to the house and Dad had a stereo, which I wasn't allowed to touch. Naturally. But I grew up listening to all that music and he had a, you know, when he was up in Queensland uh, uh, training, he learned to play rugby, which was an unknown thing. The only place in Tasmania where they played rugby was in Hobart where all the uh, stuck-up people... Yeah, yeah, the, up ta- yeah the up market The ones, free yeah. settlers from England. Yeah. <laughs> one of the patch, the leather patches yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah, all that shit. So he learned to play rugby up there and when he came back to Launceston, you know, there were a lot of immigrants coming in, Scots, Irish, Welsh, Italians, English... And that somehow they got together and formed the Northern Tasmanian Rugby Union Association. And uh, your dad was there. Didn't yeah, it? dad was in it. Dad, captain Northern Tasmania, played for Northern Tasmania fifty, sixty times. Retired when he was forty. Anyway, well, hang on. What was he? A front rower, second rower? Come front on, front rower, front rower. Yeah, he was a mean motherfucker. I met him. He was. Jesus, on the ground, the shit out um, of me. So, his one of his mates was a referee, and he had the biggest stereo system. In, you've ever seen in your life. It filled the room. And we used to go over there Sunday, every Sunday morning and he'd be there with a couple of his mates and Dad and I and, uh, you know, I grew up listening, listening to the best. And, and did he have did he have good music the, the, the oh, with the stereo? Uh, they all did, yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, Dad was had got a job as the fireman. He was just a junior fireman but he also worked as an usher bouncer at the movie theatres and there were... In those days, there were five or six movie theatres. So myself and the sisters and that basically grew up going to the movies all the time. And uh, obviously, we saw every great movie made around that period of time, probably, you know, three or four movies every week when you were growing up, plus the music, plus I'd discovered Elvis. Um, So there was a fair bit of music going on around me. I couldn't play it for shit. And was there was there a television? Was there a radio well, station? Television television? didn't come till fifty six. There was a very progressive Tasmanian radio station called Seventy um, X, where Alan McClellan, who went on to run Three Z and became something of a legend in Australian radio, and and out of Seventy X came Rod Muir, Barry Bishop, Don Lunn, a whole endless stream of. Of for, top forty style DJs, yeah, yeah, who went on to be the biggest so, you know, in Australia. So that was all happening. The theatre movies were all happening. I was, I'd started cycling when I was about eleven, so I was doing that, and obviously I was very much into music. So, it, you know, again, because we we more than know each other well here, that you ended up working in radio though. Yeah, well, it was a long story. I was at the cycling track one night and a guy called the amateur cycling didn't turn up, so I did it. And uh, and uh, this champion Tasmanian cyclist called Max Sloan, who was doing the professional race calling, sort of took me under his wing and uh, 
pretty soon I was calling athletics, greyhounds, at, trotting. At school? Gallops. Yeah, I was, well, yeah, I was still at school, yeah, at that stage. I left school when I was 15. And were you getting paid for this stuff? Bits and pieces, yeah. 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 My man used to get the shits when I when I first started running the dances. I was still broadcasting. I'd go up to St Helens or Devonport to call. I was getting paid good money for that. I was making more money than he was. So you just said run the dances. So you well, what happened was the cycling club were running a Queen of the Track or something charity fundraising festival for a month, and I was the loudmouth um, riders representative on the committee. Ah, the organising committee. Yeah, they were, uh, were on the committee of the club. They weren't very impressed with me, the old guys. But anyway, I suggested we did a dance because I was working at that time with the bass player of a band called the Dominoes and who were the biggest band in Launceston. So I got them to play in another young band. We did a dance at the Trades Hall in Launceston. My father and all his fireman mates were the bouncers and we made £80 for the cycling club. Oh, and um, the career was born. Yeah, and I had to make a decision whether I wanted to be a sports commentator or a but dance promoter. Or a dance promoter. And one night on 70X, I said, I'll be fucked, he's falling over or something. Uh, and no, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, 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 no you're, not, you're not allowed to. We're not getting into that. <laughs> yes, we are. No, Just briefly. Was that in Melbourne or in Launceston? In Launceston. Was it? And that was the end of my radio career, so I became. But hang on. Was it true that you had money on the dog? Oh, yeah. Well, that's a legend. It, but I know that. So that's the problem is there's legend with you and then there's reality. So yeah, well, it tends to blend <laughs> and in. And you, you do tend to make sure that the legend doesn't disappear far from the, the um, scheme of things. So yeah. what? So you, that dog race... Uh, it was I, actually a cycling race, but, oh. but uh, the dog race was another moment. Right. And, and then... And that, so then I just basically I, was, I had a lot of different jobs... And uh, I started running dances and when managing young Tassie bands. And when did you move to Melbourne? Well, um, I was helping um, uh, some young Tasmanian people do bring over national acts like Bobby and Laurie and The Flies and Lynn Randell and people like that. And the first show I ever saw, which really got me into the live music thing, was Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs when they supported Screaming Lord Such at the Albert Hall in Launceston. And that... No, that's a story and a half then, isn't it? That blew me away. And then about a month later, Max Merritt and the Media was played there and that was the end of me. They were my two favourite bands for many, many, many years. And So then I decided to move to Melbourne. I took a Tasmanian band called Ida May Mac to Melbourne. I'd met a few of the Melbourne people who used to come down with the bands. Uh, I went to Melbourne, went into Ambo, saw this young red-headed guy with a big nose sitting down the back and went and said hi and we became... Friends and, and that that would have been Mr. Ganinsky, right? So I was helping him. I was running, helping him run dances. I was managing my little Tasmanian band and being the roadie and the sound engineer and all those things and doing three shows. And you know, you'd play Thumping Tum at seven o'clock and the Dandenong Long Town all at nine thirty. And the, did you make money? Oh, you know, enough. We all, we all lived. We all yeah. survived. Yeah. So it didn't money didn't was never the thing. It was just yeah, but but what I want to make sure we get to is that between Ambo, which stood for the Australian Music Booking something or other. Yeah, right? it was a, a conglomerate of old music rock and you know the fifties, 
early 60s people who'd been successful who all came together and, and you know, started this agency. And they were managers and agents and that's right. Yeah. But, but it was also there and then, I mean, we'll just move forward a bit because then somehow it became... Gadinsky some- was working for Bill Joseph who was the biggest dance, dance promoter, promoter right. in Melbourne at the time. Gadinsky... And Michael Browning was managing Doug Parkinson and had just taken on Billy Thorpe and Gadinsky was nurturing the chain, healing force, James Taylor move, and there were other bands. So this, this was all the breeding ground, wasn't it? Because yeah. Sydney was nowhere near as, as happening. Most of the bands from Sydney that came to Melbourne were actually New Zealand bands. Right. There were a few... Sydney bands like Freshwater and yeah, that's Tully right. and Tamam Shud, but you, then you had the Lardy Dars and Max Merritt and all these others, and they were basically all New Zealanders. But anyway, Gudinski and Browning started an agency called Consolidated Rock, and I got a job there. Basically, these days you'd be called marketing executive, but in those days I was the poster boy. <laughs> the promotions guy. <sighs> Michael Chug. In a moment, Michael looks back at his move to Sydney. Sydney's music scene at the time was well behind that of Melbourne. His move north kicked off with a Billy Thorpe gig that didn't exactly go to plan. Then at some point in the middle of this, you then came to Sydney. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, um, they were, Ganesha and Browning were running these very successful shows at Melbourne Town Hall every six, eight weeks on a Sunday with Daddy Cool and Spectrum and Tully and Tamam Shad and... Billy and the Lardy Dars and, you know, all the big bands at the time. And, uh, I, my first involvement with them was I was a stage manager at the Melbourne Town Hall one night when Thorpey decided he was going to get this stupid big kinetic blow-up thing and Pig Morgan played the organ. organ. It was a great show but it was... Anyway, Michael Browning decided we'd take the show to Sydney so we came up to Sydney and uh, there was an old friend of yours, Philip Walker. Oh, yes. And he was involved briefly and the idea was we were going to run this concert at Sydney Town Hall and we were going to open an agency up here. Because Sydney had been destroyed by a couple of agencies, Nova, Peter, Peter Cunningham, Cunningham, John yeah, Sinclair. Yeah. Sydney had been a great, great market but... By the time we got here, it was dead. There were hardly any gigs. There were no young promoters. The, you know, the universities weren't doing it. It wasn't like Melbourne. I mean, you could go to Melbourne with a Sydney band and you'd do three shows on a Saturday, two on a Sunday, and then you'd do universities every lunchtime and different things. So you'd go to Melbourne do ten shows in seven days. You'd come up here and you'd struggle to do four. But the the key down there, I mean, I, I, I'm a... I'm a I'm a tourist to all this, was the quality of the people that were working the system down there. Because right? Sydney never had the... I mean, Roger Davies was a part of Con- Consolidated Rockets. No, he wasn't. Wasn't he? No. Oh. So Phil Jacobson was? No, he wasn't. We'll get to that. All right. Cool. So, Janinsky uh, and Browning. So, Browning and I came to Ladies Sydney. Ladies and gentlemen, you notice how much in charge of this interview I am. Well, you fucking don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> You're jumping a couple of years ahead. Oh, right, 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 right. Anyway, we came to Sydney and we had Billy Thorpe, the Lardy Dars, Lobby Lloyd and the Colour Balls, Jess and John, Freshwater, Jerry on, Humphreys from the Love Ones was the compare. On the same bill. Yeah. Right. The Sydney Town Hall on a Sunday night. 
um, they brought that stupid big blow-up thing up and lobby, and in those days there were no sound and lighting companies. That night I met Eric Robinson, our great late friend, mm. for the first time when he turned up with his light show, which was globes with coloured gels yeah, in large, and, sunshine, and milk, in large sunshine milk cans. <laughs> so Thorpe and Lobby Lloyd spent all day putting everybody's sound system together. You know, you'd turn up like the lady does, had a WEM system from England which they'd brought back with them and it had four columns and a small amplifier yes. and that was, you know, so they everybody, so Lobby and Thorpe worked all day setting up the PA we finally got it working. We were under huge extreme pressure because the the head guy running the Sydney Town Hall, you know, they were all uniformed up and everything and he was angry and really horrible because rock and roll had somehow got into the... Sydney Town Hall. The Sydney Town Hall. So he'd been giving us flack all day and, of course, so we had sold out. Shows in walks Johnny O'Keefe in his white suit and proceeds to sit right above the stage in the balcony, which pissed Thorpey off to no end. <laughs> anyway, we start the show. Lobby Lloyd goes on first and he plays 10 minutes too long. I'm in front of the stage going, please, Lobby, will you fucking come off? Please, come off now. If we finally get him off stage, he goes over and fucks with the PA for some reason, and it never worked properly again. For the rest of the night. Yeah. So by the time Billy Thorpe's ready to go on, it's 10 minutes to 11. Oh. We've got the Nazi saying at 11 o'clock he's turning the power oh. off and the light's on. So Thorpe he goes on, this big kinetic blow-up thing, yes. proceeds to knock all the equipment off the stage. Oh. Thorpe he does two songs. He's so angry. I thought... There was going to be a massive riot, but we got away with it. Anyway, O'Keefe was, ah, <laughs> uh, wasn't nice. Anyway, the next week, Go Set. Now, we, you know what Go Set yeah. was. Unlike the music magazines of today, Go Set was the Bible. Yeah, and, and it had they, an opinion on everything. Yeah, and they used to sell in those days, we're talking 69, 70, 71. They used to sell 50, 100,000 copies every week. It was the Bible. And um, anyway, Wednesday's Go Set comes out after the town hall show and the headline on the front page is Rock Con at Sydney Town Hall, which Molly had written. Oh. Which he denies to this day, but he did. Anyway, Browning gets the shits. Yes. And decides this... Agency, which is really doing well, the chain are on radio, top 40. Thorpey's just released most people I know. Healing Force have had a monstrous number one. Golden years. Golden years. Michael Rudd's had a big hit. Daddy Cooler, the kings of the land. Everything's working really well. Browning decides to start a newspaper called The Daily Planet. Oh. And um, against Gosset, and of course, it turned into an unmitigated disaster. You had old hippies like Lee Dillow and oh. roadies like the chain's legendary roadie driver and they were the editors and it was just a piece of work. Anyway, I'm in Sydney with my new wife. We're living in Paddington. We're not making a lot of money. Um, but you're running 
Consolidated Rockets. Yeah, and I had the Lardy Dars and Jefferson John and Piranha and Tamar and so yeah, yeah. But there wasn't a lot of gigs around. They had a Browning had set some sent some reporter up here to run the paper in Sydney and he was sponging off us and anyway in the end Consolidated Rock went bankrupt. Were you an owner? No, no, I was just employed running the Sydney office. Yeah. Went bankrupt. <laughs> Gadinsky joined Ravens, the Australian Entertainment Exchange. Uh, Browning continued to manage Billy Thorpe and, uh, uh, yeah, and they went overseas. And that was the more us than class time or a little later Yeah, on. yeah, all around that. Right. And uh, I was managing the Lardy Dars and there was uh, a band called Company Kane. Yeah. And their roadie was Roger Davis. So they had a really good album that was highly regarded and Roger was their roadie and then Roger and I started Sunrise. Right. Which was the agency we ran together. And that was in Sydney. Out of the ashes. Yeah. And we in, became... in, in Paddington, because that was quite famous, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then we then uh, Let It Be was the agency in Melbourne that was looking after Daddy Cool, Spectrum, Captain Matchbox, running the much more ballroom, which was a legendary. Yeah, it certainly was. Alternate gig in Melbourne in Fitzroy. And we met the accountant from Let It Be called Philip Jacobson and we ended up buying Let It Be and we started Sunrise Let It Be and we had Melbourne office and Sydney office against Gadinsky and Evans at the Australian Entertainment Exchange. Right. So that's where all that fitted in. This is Peter Ricks's conversation with the founder and executive chairman of music and touring company Chug Entertainment, the legendary Michael Chug. In part two, Michael and Peter look at the next steps of Michael's career, the Sunbury Music Festival in the early 70s, and his first work in touring overseas acts such as The Police. That's next time on From the Inside. From the Inside is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.